Textile Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Deus Textile Podcast, a place where some of the most progressive and innovative builders, thought leaders, and traders in the crypto space come together to discuss all areas of the crypto industry. Whether you're into DeFi, Layer 1s, Layer 2s, NFTs, or anything in between, we've got you covered. And as a reminder, nothing said on this podcast should be construed as financial advice or as a solicitation to buy or sell any digital asset or security. The comments, views, and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests on the podcast are their own. As always, you'll need to do your own research. Now, with that out of the way, let's get to the episode. So welcome everyone to the Deus Excel podcast. My name is Kepler. I'm a DAO member and I'm joined by two wonderful people today. First, we have my co-host, uh, Mr. Mittens, who's also a DAO member. And we have Ming from RabbitX, who's our guest today. Um, yeah, welcome guys. Uh, cool to have you on the, on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Cool. So maybe Ming first, before we dive in, could you give like a quick intro of yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm one of the core members of RabbitX, uh, which is a decentralized perpetual derivatives exchange built on StockNet. Uh, I, you know, come from a background of traditional finance. Um, I've been in crypto and uh, DeFi since uh, 2017, 2018. So, yeah, that's a quick intro about myself. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, I mean, when we did some research beforehand, uh, we saw that you guys actually pivoted from like Strips Finance to RabbitX. So for me, it's always interesting because you can learn a lot from that. So could you maybe give some details of like what were you building before? What were the challenges? And then ultimately, why did you decide to, to pivot? Yeah, sure. I think to answer that question, probably uh, we'll go back to why we decided to build interest rate swaps in the first place. Um, when I joined and, and explored decentralized finance, I was quite surprised by the speed that decentralized finance was basically speed running traditional financial infrastructure. And so looking at where the trend was going, it was very clear that derivatives was the next frontier. and Within derivatives, if you look at how traditional finance is structured, a lot of the volume is actually done in interest rate and fixed income derivatives, right? So to give you some statistics, uh, close to 80% of over-the-counter derivatives volume is in interest rate swaps and fixed income derivatives, right? So that's a huge multi-trillion dollar uh, market, right? And so we saw that there was a lot of potential. And if the decentralized derivatives market were to mature at a rapid pace, then uh, it, it was very clear to us that interest rate swaps would be the next, uh, I guess, a financial Lego block that needed to be built. And so that's when we started to build interest rate swaps. What we didn't count on is, and, and I think one assumption that we had is that uh, the decentralized derivatives market would be more mature by the time we were finished building the interest rate swap um, product. And this was probably February of 2022. And when we launched our first interest rate product, derivatives uh, product on Arbitrum in February, 
we realized that, oh, hold on, actually, we're probably too early into the market because the rest of the DeFi derivatives space is still too immature, right? There's not a lot of volume um, in DeFi derivatives at the time. You know, if we look at DeFi perps, DeFi options, that it was really less than 1% of total perpetuals volume if you uh, look at centralized exchanges as well. So we took a step back and we asked ourselves, okay, we know that DeFi is the future of finance, right? DeFi is the future of the uh, financial infrastructure that uh, you know powers all these global economies, powers lending, borrowing, powers trading. And we know that within DeFi, we already have lending borrowing, we already have spot trading. The piece that is missing and has yet to mature is derivatives, right? And we've looked at a lot of the perpetual derivatives exchanges across DeFi, and we realized that there's still a gap between centralized derivatives, you know, centralized perpetuals and decentralized perpetuals. And we couldn't figure out why uh, until we dove deeper and we realized that a lot of the products had all, you know, one way or another had some flaw in the system, right? So it could be uh, trading, uh, it could be, you know, the user experience, the trading experience, or it could be because the fees were too high. So it could be gas fees were too high or trading fees were too high. Or it could be that simply the layer one that they were on was too unstable, right? So, you know, they're liable to uh, crash frequently or market makers would not be able to cancel their orders in time. So in one way or another, there was always a trade-off, right? When uh, you looked at all these decentralized perpetual exchanges. So we assembled, you know, we looked at our team that we assembled and we realized that we could have a, we, we have a very strong team to address these issues and to really put together a decentralized perpetuals exchange that didn't have all of these flaws and didn't have all of these trade-offs that the existing uh, perpetual dexes had, right? And so that's when we made the pivot to shift, to take our expertise um, from building a decentralized interest rate derivatives platform to now building a more general derivatives platform that caters to perpetuals, to uh, other different asset classes, to even options. And also we will have the option to introduce interest rate derivatives in the future if we want to. So that's a long-winded answer of uh, why we decided to make the pivot. Um, but yes, it, it really um, it really boiled down to A, we were too early with the interest rate derivatives product, the market was not yet mature enough, and B, there was uh, really no real um, suitable decentralized perpetual exchange that could compete with the centralized exchanges. You mentioned that it would be possible for you to add interest rate swaps later. So what would need to happen for you considering that? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, I think number one, the De DeFi 
derivatives market needs to mature a lot more from where it is today. So we need to get users comfortable with trading perpetuals, uh, with trading options on DeFi platforms away from centralized exchanges, because as we saw today, um, there are a lot of hidden risks and uncertainty when you deposit and trade on a centralized exchange. When you deposit on a centralized exchange, you don't know where that money is going to, right? You have no transparency. Everything is opaque. It's, it's hidden behind a, a veil. And so with DeFi, one of the most powerful elements of DeFi is its transparency. So when you deposit into a decentralized derivatives exchange like RabbitX, you'll be able to see where your money is and you'll be able to see that that money is sitting there waiting for you if you want to withdraw. We're not taking that money and rehypothecating and using it to yield farm or using it to lend out to some market maker that you know may maybe you know affiliated with the exchange. Um, you know, I'm not gonna uh, name names here, but you know, we we saw this week. Well, you know, that there are certain exchanges that have uh, very close relationships with market making uh, or trading firms, right? And so there's that hidden risk that people don't really realize until it's too late, right? And so uh, I, I think that number one, we need to see more education around decentralized finance, we need more education around DeFi perpetuals, DeFi derivatives. And then secondly, there needs to be a more robust fixed income market, right? For interest rate derivatives to really thrive and to really pick up steam, we need to see a fixed income market that is more robust, that is more sophisticated, that is more mature. Right now we have over collateralized lending borrowing. We also have uh, under collateralized lending borrowing in, in the form of you know, Maple, Clearpool, et cetera. Uh, but I think what would be interesting is if we had some sort of uh, yield curve, right? That people could uh, invest in multiple different term structures. They could um, have six month or one year fixed interest rates. And once you have that type of market, then uh, interest rate derivatives would start to become a lot more attractive. Yeah. Um, along those lines too, Ming, if you wanted to uh, maybe dive into why maybe a lack of product market fit, was it specific to perp interest rate swap specifically? Because term is how they usually exist in TradFi proper, right? Um, what do you, do you feel the future of interest rate swaps in DeFi and generally is going to be more the perpetual route? Do you maybe want to speak to some of the issues with the PMF around uh, perp, for, uh, perp rate stops for uh, strips and Will the future iteration be term? Yeah, so I think this is still a question that uh, I don't have the exact answer to. Um, I think that for term IRS, so so for term interest rate swaps, which have a fixed tenor, who, which has an expiry date, it is better suited for hedging and for uh, conservative investors that have a fixed time horizon. Um, I think for people that want to purely speculate on interest rates and the, di the direction of interest rates, uh, the, the perpetual interest rate swap, which also was a uh, new invention by, by Strips, 
is a better tool for the speculators and for people that simply want to bet on the, the direction of interest rates and, and profit from, from that. So I can see use cases for both. And we are, you know, we are uh, pretty comfortable with both term and, and perpetual IRS um, if the market is ready for it. And, you know, we've, we've kept it in our back pocket um, if, the, if we see the opportunity to uh, launch such a product exists. On the uh, investor front, um, was there any specific responses or feedback you got from them when you spoke to uh, wanting to do the pivot, you know, from rate swaps to perps? Did it, did it align with kind of their visions uh, as well in terms of where they saw the market going or any feedback from them? Yeah, I think the feedback was pretty positive. Um, I think that given the crypto winter and given the drop off in uh, volumes uh, in a lot of DeFi protocols, um, and I guess the uh, scaling back of risk across the board, um, it made sense that uh, we we should find a product that had a lower barrier to entry. And not to mention that, you know, as, as a startup, you are really at the mercy of whatever the market wants. So you might have a product that is extremely advanced, you know, from both technical and also financial standpoint. But if the market's not ready, then really that it doesn't matter um, how much effort or how much thought you've put into it. So we really realized that we have to let the market decide when it is ready and let the market dictate what type of exchange and what type of product that we should build. So we've, we've shifted quite, quite significantly the way that we think about building product from a year ago. You know, I, I would say that a year ago we were building the product that we wanted rather than the product that the market wanted, right? Um, so now we actually are quite um, sensitive to um, what customers tell us, what clients tell us, and basically making sure that we have a pulse on the market at all times on uh, what products uh, and features that, that they would like to see. Gotcha. Le let's dive into the new product. So um, could you maybe just quickly describe what RabbitX is? Um, yeah. Yeah, the most simply, uh, you know, the mo most simple description is that RabbitX is a decentralized perpetuals exchange that doesn't suck. <laughs> you know, we've basically uh, taken the best tech and the most scalable matching engine, most scalable um, uh, order book and put that on top of StockNet which is a layer two on top of Ethereum and is extremely secure, extremely scalable. And we've brought the same efficiency and same speed as a centralized exchange into a decentralized perpetuals exchange. So the speed that you experience 
on RabbitX is just as fast, if not sometimes even faster than a centralized exchange, right? And not to mention we have zero gas fees and zero maker fees, right? So you have an order book that is extremely fast, extremely reliable, and you have the security of Ethereum. You have the transparency of on-chain Ethereum, on-chain data. You have no gas fees and no maker fees. So all of this is powered by uh, StockNet's zero-knowledge technology. And I think this is a huge, huge step forward uh, in terms of uh, uh, the perpetuals and derivatives uh, exchanges that currently exist. Right, right. And uh, I should also say, full disclosure, I am a member of, of Deus Ex DAO. I do also uh, work for Rabbit. I, I should have led with that one too. So just for people listening, um, I won't, I won't uh, laugh me too many softballs though. Uh, anyway, on, along the lines of um, that pivot and what RabbitX is, so we went, you went from uh, optimistic rollups to ZK1s. Can you speak a bit to that structural advantage or, I mean, why you chose to move that route and any, you know, big advantages you see there and uh, kind of maybe, you know, do you think others may follow suit eventually, you know, trends along that, but we'll start with the first one of, I guess, comparing the two. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we initially launched our IRS DEX on Arbitrum, which is an optimistic roll-up layer two on Ethereum. And we, for RabbitX, we decided to launch on StockNet. Now, the rationale behind that actually goes back uh, a year and a half ago. So we had a look across the landscape at the time. There was, you know, Polygon, BSC, uh, Avalanche hadn't even come out yet, Solana and Ethereum. And uh, back then, Arbitrum and Optimism ha ha hadn't even launched yet. And so we basically looked uh, at these layer one and layer two chains um, from the lens of security and robustness and long-term scalability, right? And from our observation, it seemed like the most uh, secure and scalable and robust technology was zero knowledge. However, at the time, and this was back in May of 2021, zero knowledge was nowhere near mature enough and it hadn't even launched a testnet yet um, or a testnet that the public could use. And so we decided to launch an Arbitrum as a stepping stone or as an interim solution while we work towards a fully ZK uh, layer two um, solution. And so that's why we decided to build and launch our initial version of Arbitrum, but ultimately, we knew that we were going to build uh, and transition to a zero knowledge layer two. Now, which zero knowledge layer two, we didn't know at the time. However, speaking with both um, the, the two most prominent zero knowledge teams right now are uh, Starkware and ZK Sync. We spoke to both teams uh, pretty early on um, in our build, build process, and we felt that the Starkware team had the best implementation of the zero knowledge technology um, and uh, the team was super helpful uh, with answering our questions 
And so that's that's why we decided to transition and, and pivot to build on StartNet. Hope that answers the question. Yeah, uh, thank you. So maybe could you give more detail about what you mean with best implementation? So what like the main differences were? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, both ZK Sync and Starkware use zero knowledge uh, proofs for their um, layer two implementation. Uh, I, I guess the biggest difference is um, the way that they generate and validate proofs. So ZK Sync uses Snarks, while uh, Starknet, which is built by Starkware team, uses Starks. Now, I'm not the most uh, technical person uh, in the room uh, by any means, but from my understanding uh, with our developers and with uh, the, uh, you know, looking at the documentation uh, between, you know, ZK Sync and, and StarkNet, the, um, the way that Snarks is set up, it requires a, a trusted setup. So that means that you, you require uh, some trust in a third party um, to basically be able to generate and verify your proofs. Whereas with stocks, it's a trustless setup um, that doesn't require a third party uh, to validate and, and generate proofs. So uh, not to mention also stocks are quantum proof. So in the era of quantum computing, you uh, you know, there might be some risk of snarks being um, able to be uh, hacked or uh, exploited, whereas stocks is, is quantum proof. So um, you don't have that risk, right? But between the two, it's they're both underlying using zero knowledge proof as their technology. And I think both teams are very strong and, uh, and you know, I think it's very clear that zero knowledge is is going to be the future of scaling Ethereum. Um, we just chose StockNet um, simply because our you know our developers, our, our CTO felt like it was the longer term solution. Um, but that's not to that's not to say that zk sync isn't isn't good. Yeah, I think I think zk sync is also a very interesting and very powerful technology. So to uh, to recap that, um, there is no trusted setup between, so for Snarks versus Starks, we'll say Snark representing ZK Sync and Stark being what Starkware uses. Um, there is no trusted setup with Starks um, by way of initially having people need to set up a private public key pair, which could cause, it's a one-time but non-trivial, I guess, possible exploit. And then the quantum uh, proofing comes from by way of that key pair not being there for Starks. So, and it is there for Snarks. So eventually a quantum computer could hack a key pair, right? Uh, by just brute forcing it, but that could never be with Starks. And uh, one other thing I read, and I'm curious if this was touted to you or that you've seen elsewhere, is that Starks are much more computationally scalable. I've heard figures up to say a factor of 10. So in addition to the security element, is it also that much quicker and, and, and structurally at more performant? Um, yeah, I, I've, I've heard that as well. And, uh, you know, from a theoretical standpoint, it is, you know, probably true. Um, I think in practice, 
uh, I, you know, both teams are throttling their uh, their chains, so we haven't seen the full power of uh, you know either stocks or or, or snocks at, at this point. So, but they they are already bringing, you know, probably one to one and a half orders of magnitude uh, improvement on top of Ethereum, right? So it's already helping. Um, the, the scaling of, of Ethereum quite significantly. And not to mention um, between, uh, you know, this kind of uh, going on a tangent a little bit, but another reason why we chose to go down the ZK path versus the optimism is that as a user, if you want to bridge back to, uh, from optimism back to the main chain, main Ethereum chain, uh, you need to have a seven day waiting period, right? Whereas with ZK, um, that that number, you know, that that basically can go to zero, right? So you can bridge back to Ethereum almost instantly. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's another thing that I think really speaks to one of the core structural advantages of zk overall is that you cannot post a fraudulent transaction, and that's just a cryptographic like absolute. Yeah. I'm not technical enough to be able to like explain why that is, but it's true. And with optimistic ones, like by nature of the name, that isn't true actually, and, and you are relying on the you know, a a noble third party or someone watching, and if someone sees something fraudulent, calling it out, and that's the reason for that seven day window. Um, nominally, is because you're giving someone seven days to maybe say, "Hey, this is this was fraud," and then post a proof, and then there's a whole process that goes into that. Um, so while there are stop gaps for that, like Hot Bridge, which fronts it to you, so to speak, and allows you to bridge off optimistic rollups, I believe, like any other bridge, um, it still feels a little imperfect that you could have something be fraudulent by way of design and the need to rely on another third party's infrastructure like hop to even get out of there quickly and zk just do that by their very nature uh, so yeah exactly I, I just feel like zk is a lot cleaner compared to optimistic and it, it doesn't suffer any of the trade-offs uh that optimistic rollups have and it's uh just as scalable if not more scalable than, than optimistic rollups yeah, another uh, advantage you mentioned was that it's high throughput. So could you maybe uh, touch on how that um, influenced the, the protocol design? So for example, I mean, you're using order books, which so far have been problematic for DeFi just because of the blockchain trilemma. So yeah, could you talk about that? Maybe? Yeah, for sure. So actually for, yeah, so for an order book, right, if you think about the number of transactions that are audible processes. Uh, it's normally two orders of magnitude more than trades. So let's say if you have a hundred trades a second, then you would expect to have probably 10,000 um, orders per second, right? So you need to be able to process 10,000 orders per second. And this is, you know, across multiple different markets. Um, normal, you know, layer one, um, chains will not be able to facilitate that even so even for Solana, right? And so the way that we solved it is by combining the best of two worlds of a uh, off-chain order book and an on-chain settlement. So you have the benefits of that you have the speed of any you know off-chain uh, order book just like a centralized exchange plus the added benefit of transparency and um, robustness of uh, on-chain sediment, right? 
So, you know, you have all of the speed of, uh, you know, an off-chain order book, plus you have the security and transparency of on-chain um, settlements, right? So uh, that's how we solve the um, trilemma, so to speak, of scaling. In the future, we have looked into having a fully on-chain order book, and we think that it is theoretically possible. In fact, we, you know, we did a weekend hack, uh, hackathon, internal hackathon, and, um, you know, we think that it's entirely possible to do it. Um, it's, you know, it's feasible to implement. So it just takes time for us to, to ultimately build that out. And, you know, in the interim, uh, we view that, um, you know, decentralization is, is on a spectrum, right? And so we don't want users to have to experience that trade-off. And so we, we decided to uh, initially start off with an off-chain order book um, and on-chain settlement. For the on-chain uh, order book uh, that you just discussed as being possible, is that possible with current tech that's available or, or does that require like uh, the same reason why order books really weren't, you know, the AMM was always imperfect, but we did it because of tech constraints, frankly, right? It's kind of like the the Netflix of crypto, like streaming videos was always the superior model, but we didn't have high-speed internet, so you had to go to a store. Like OBs are kind of the, the Netflix of liquidity. Um, yeah. Does the on-chain order book you just described, does it need any more tech? Does ZK Tech need to do something different to allow that, or do we need another tool? Um, I think the tech is there. Uh, it just requires a lot more implementation. So uh, it requires... Um, quite a lot of work done on the infrastructure level. And in fact, on StartNet, there is this concept of a layer three chain, right? So you have the layer one Ethereum, a layer two scaling layer, with uh, which is StartNet. And then on top of StartNet, you can run your own high throughput uh, blockchain, right? And so on your layer three, you can run as many transactions as you want, before batching these transactions and sending them onto StockNet. So theoretically, you could scale to an infinite you know, number of transactions per second, right? Um, and that is what we're super excited about is because you can imagine all these different high throughput uh, dApps where they're running on layer three and they're batching their transactions and sending onto StockNet uh, before being uh, bashed again and sent onto Ethereum. So it's like a compression layer on top of compression layer, right? And I think that is feasible with the technology that we have today. It will take time to build. It will just take time to build that infrastructure and um, testing for the robustness as well. Got it. That makes sense. It's like a ZK inception almost, right? You just keep iterating the concept on another layer above and you can put it on chain, yeah. but still get the benefits of, of, uh, of, of the speed and what have you, and kind of effectively exactly. solving the trilemma. I mean, is there another, is there a, if there is a shortcoming here, can you mm -hmm. point it out? I mean, it's cause it seems like yeah. kind of a panacea in so far as like what we're trying to address here. So the shortcoming for the layer three is that you lose some, com uh, you lose, uh, some composability but you do keep interoperability. So between 
the you know between different dApps on layer three chains, you could have you, you can think of them as islands, right? So you could have multiple apps running on one layer three chain, right? Um, and these could all be exchanges or could be all be you know uh, uh, game fi or games running on the same layer three that. Uh, you know, periodically update the stock net chain, you know, could be once every 15 seconds, once every 30 seconds. Uh, but between layer three dApps, uh, you can't have atomic, you don't have atomic composability, but you do have interoperability in the form of this, the periodic syncing onto the stock net chain. And because uh, ZK proof allows you to mathematically mathematically prove a transaction is uh, valid um you know without without knowing um the previous transactions or without uh you know giving more information you don't need to worry about uh double spending attacks or you don't need to it's not you don't need to worry about you know consensus uh mechanisms like uh you know like solana or you know nose being out of sync etc so uh, as the name suggests, ZK rollups is simply, you know, you can have multiple transactions being rolled up into a proof, which is then rolled up into another proof, right? So it's like a stock, you know, uh, stock net inception, ZK inception, right? Where you have proofs being rolled up into other proofs, being rolled up into other proofs. So I think that's the, that's the really powerful part. Yeah, I think like the trade-off for some projects it's not that important to have atomic composability. Like if you're a game, you probably don't need it, right? For other yeah, projects, exactly. maybe maybe it's important, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So going back to the order book, could you maybe describe, I mean, we touched upon it already, but what are the advantages over other models like liquidity pools um, and the other designs we, we currently see in, in DeFi? Yeah, for sure. I think. I think AMMs have, uh, you know, been a very important uh, invention and innovation in in DeFi. Um, however, for an asset class such as crypto, which is extremely volatile and extremely, you know, price movement can be explosive, uh, it does not make sense to. I mean, it's definitely not very economical. Uh, to, to, to be a liquidity provider in an AMM of an asset class that is both highly volatile and has explosive price movements. Because when you're a liquidity provider in, a, in an AMM, you are basically short gamma. You're short, you're short volatility, right? So you are shorting volatility in an asset class that is extremely volatile and has explosive price movements. So that is not a very good situation to be in as a investor. Um, and we ask ourselves a question, okay, do we feel like we as an exchange or an AMM can do a better job of price discovery as someone who has spent 20 years doing market making compared to someone you know who has spent 20 years honing their craft uh, in, in, you know, Finding um, price uh, prices between markets and and you know providing efficient markets um, in, in you know 
different asset classes? And so the answer to that was no. We felt like we didn't have any edge there. And so we um, want to let the market, you know, more professional market makers handle that price discovery process and also handle the risk management uh, of being liquidity providers, being market makers uh, on an exchange. So that's the, you know, that's why we decided to use an order book model versus uh, using an AMM first model. And not to mention that if we run an order book model, we can always add a synthetic AMM anytime we want, right? And AMM is simply a passive liquidity provider that is providing bids, bids and offers with equal width and equal depth, um, you know, across its variable price range, right? And so you, you're basically short gamma. You're, 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 you're selling um, as prices go higher and you're buying as prices go lower. Um, so we, and, and we can create a virtual or synthetic AMM on top of an order book. That's uh, very, very easy to do. As compared to if you were building an AMM first and you wanted to introduce, say, limit orders or stop orders or, uh, you know, take profit orders on a AMM uh, as a trader or even as a liquidity provider, that is very difficult, right? And so you, with, with an order book, you have both the flexibility um, of being able to add AMMs or different types of market making bots in the future. Uh, plus you allow market maker, professional market makers to come in and provide their uh, risk management uh, and provide their expertise in making markets in price discovery. So that's, that's why we decided that Audibooks was the more superior uh, option compared to AMMs. And um, along that line, like comparing that also to even further, say like uh, the GMX model, right? With uh, how they provision liquidity and then also how they get pricing, right? Which is Oracle pricing. And we saw recently kind of the shortcoming of that where someone or, you know, someone pretty clever arbed it out and just, you know, it, it wasn't really a hack. It was really more actually just uh, it seemed to be a byproduct of what you're doing when you're feeding it through an Oracle. So like comparing the OB model to say what the Oracle pricing and GMX and AMMs, do you see it eventually all trending towards order book? Do you think these other liquidity models have a place? And if so, like, how do you see those working together? Yeah, I do think that eventually exchange, you know, these DeFi uh, derivatives exchanges are going to figure out that order book is, is the better model to use uh, as compared to AMMs. In fact, we've seen a few uh, AMM based decentralized perp exchanges uh, you know, either get hacked or, or blow up because of risk, right? Um, and, you know, GMX was exploited uh, by a trader who who knew what he was doing and, uh, you know, realized that, oh, there's, there's this, you know, exchange that's providing me unlimited liquidity at the Oracle price, right? And uh, this, this exchange liquidity provider has zero information or advantage over me. So... I think that you know, as an AMM, you, you you're not um, you don't have any information advantage, and so you're liable to get picked off by by Tusk Flow. Uh, this also happened well in well, Mango was a slightly different uh, hack, 
but anything that is anytime your PNL uh, or your um, executable price is based off an Oracle, that is a very vulnerable point of attack, right? In Mango's case, it wasn't an ex you know it wasn't so much an executable price, but it was an executable loan that was based off an Oracle price, right? So that is um, that is extremely dangerous, right? And so for us we have a very rigorous uh, process in the way that we mark positions and calculate unrealized PNL to make sure that these type of marking manipulations do not affect us, right? So we take multiple different sources of price data, including centralized and decentralized exchanges. We go through a filtering process. We go through a moving average. Um, we calculate the median. So we make sure that the price is truly reflective of the true market price before we update uh, the index um, and, and update the market price. So yeah, we, we, we've looked at a lot of the failings and shortcomings of all these different perpetual exchanges. And there have been a lot of perpetual exchanges uh, over the years, you know, more than, more than a dozen. Um, and we've learned from their mistakes, uh, you know, and we, we stand on, the sh shoulders of giants, so to speak. Yeah, totally. Very, it's really interesting. Um, uh, maybe also then going along the lines of other like technical uh, advantages or differences with Rabbit. I believe there's no bridging needed to actually get to the application, right? It's actually still operates on Ethereum layer one, but then the transactions are in ZK. Uh, speak to that if you could. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, exactly right. So users don't even need to bridge their funds from Ethereum to, to, to StockNet. We abstract that away for them, right? So all they need to do from, from the user onboarding uh, point of view is connect their wallet and deposit or add funds via Ethereum. It will be sent to a smart contract on Ethereum. When they withdraw, it will also be withdrawn from that smart contract on Ethereum. So you don't need to go through the hassle of adding a new network, going to bridge, waiting for the funds to bridge, and then sending the funds to, to, to the protocol. Uh, it can all be done in one single transaction. We abstract all of that complexity away for the user. Um, and similarly, when they trade, they don't have to place, uh, I mean, they don't have to confirm every single transaction when they place an order. When they place an order, it's instantly confirmed, right? And they don't have to pay any gas fees for that. They don't need to wait for the transaction to be confirmed. Um, because, you know, thanks to ZK, uh, you don't, uh, you, all you need to do is just sign the transaction, right? And that, that will prove the ownership that you own the wallet. Um, and then everything else is, is abstracted away. Um, so I think this is something that, uh, you know, we have spent a lot of time researching and, and developing and uh, all in the pursuit of making the trader experience seamless and, and as smooth as possible. Yeah, I mean, on the UX side, the easier, the better to onboard liquidity. Um, is there other things you're doing here? Because like, if you're talking about order book, I mean, you need active participants in an AMM, you kind of can get retail to passively provide liquidity, right? So. I guess, is it more of a challenge and how do you approach it? Yeah, um, I think, you know, 
to be honest, in the beginning of an exchange, getting liquidity is going to uh, you know be a pri- you know priority for us, right? And so we've signed up uh, for day one. We've already signed up three different market makers to be liquidity providers uh, on exchange. And as I mentioned before, having a virtual or synthetic AMM where you know we're basically running a vault strategy on behalf of the user to provide liquidity on the exchange, which they can deposit and withdraw anytime they want, um, is you know is also another thing that we can do to to help improve the liquidity of the exchange. Not to mention, we also have market maker incentives. So if you are a uh, trading firm, or even if you're an individual that runs some market maker grid tra- trading strategy, if you satisfy some very low, easy requirements uh, on the maker volume and, and uptime, you will be eligible to earn market maker rewards uh, in the form of uh, tokens. Um, and that will further incentivize people to provide liquidity on, onto the exchange. Nice, very nice. Um, and so far as like, uh, I guess, um, uh, sign up numbers or, or where you stand currently with uh, community interest or engagement, can you maybe speak to that? I believe, uh, you know, we launched in, uh, a token 2049 formally uh, and it was stealth for a bit between like the strips and rabbit pivot. Um, where do things stand, uh, I guess, the moment in terms of interest and uh, sign ups, things like that? Yeah, we've gotten a lot of interest uh, since our official announcement in. September, late September. And so far in one and a half months, we've gotten over 60,000 signups on our waiting list. And uh, we've gotten a huge surge in uh, social media followers and also our Discord is is growing uh, very rapidly every day. So um, if you're interested in hearing about trading ideas or getting the latest uh, information about RabbitX and when, when we launch, uh, feel free to drop into our Discord um, or follow us on Twitter. You also mentioned uh, at the beginning when talking about Strips Finance that you you learned that you need to take a more market based approach. So I guess you're you're talking to a lot of the users. What 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 are they saying? What do you learn there? Yeah, yeah, we we definitely do a lot of user research and and market research. So. Um, We've interviewed probably close to 50 traders um, and they, you know, they share a lot of insights into how they think about investing, how they think about trading. What we realized is very simply, a lot of traders can be classified into two, you know, general categories. One are the traders who are trying to earn a consistent return from their trading strategies, you know, maybe it's five to ten percent a month, um, and you know they have a strategy that is systematic, and um, you know they they'll follow that strategy, or they might have some you know discretionary signals, but generally they they will stick to the major coins like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, um, and then the other bucket are uh, traders that um, you know. I, I would call them like degenerates, right? Uh, who are looking for the next 10x, the next 100x, and leverage 
uh, allows them to achieve that much more easily uh, because you know you're you're never gonna get a 10x uh, in a month or so with Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? You're you might be able to get a 10x in some shitcoin, but then there's no liquidity. So the best way to achieve it is to trade some medium cap coins like I don't know, like um, uh, Solana. Well, Solana's still pretty uh, large market cap, but something like maybe an Aave or Compound um, or maybe even like uh, Shiba, right? I think Shiba is quite popular as well. Uh, and you, you know, tack on 10x leverage. Um, if if that coin doubles, like you, you basically made um, 10x on on your money, right? So. Uh, I think that is uh, also a pretty significant group of people. And a lot of them have done very well, you know, uh, in the last bull run. A lot of them have made life-changing money. You know, they're, they're, there's a story about, uh, you know, a guy who basically took five grand and then turned it into, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars, right? And paid off his student loans, you know, bought, bought a house um, and, you know, it's now in a very strong financial and very comfortable financial you know place right and so um i think generally the traders that we talk to either fall you know fall into one of these two categories you mentioned uh, some assets like uh, mid caps as well like what what's mm -hmm. the, the what are the factors going into if, if you're going to list them or not can you talk about that yeah we would look at um the liquidity of the, the underlying spot market because uh, you know if we wanted to build a index price off of the spot spot markets it needs to be uh, robust against market manipulations or price manipulations so that, that that's the first thing we would look at um, secondly is uh, how, how many traders are actually interested in trading this this asset so the more traders the more uh, community feedback we get to um, you know, list a particular token, then that's that's when we will have a stronger uh, drive or higher priority to, to list that market. Um, this, yeah, I think these are the two main criteria that that we'll be uh, looking at. So maybe coming to to the roadmap. Um, so could you quickly say like what what what's the product like right now, and where do you see it in like half a year, year, two year, three years? Yeah, sure. So uh, we're going to be launching our testnet very soon um, in, the, in the coming weeks. And we're starting off with uh, perpetuals on Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana. And eventually we will be listing more uh, market pairs and more, more coins. Um, eventually, uh, we also plan to list different asset classes. Uh, you know, interest rate swaps could be uh, in in the future. Um, we will also have uh, an announcement regarding our token uh, next year, uh, along with staking and also trading rewards um, that will come with that. And uh, that's uh, all going to be coming out next year. Um, after that, really, uh, we plan to become the derivatives exchange of not just DeFi, but uh, you know, we want to be on the same playing field as centralized exchanges. We feel like we we have a very strong offering that could compete against centralized exchanges as well. And so we want to have 
uh, other types of other forms of derivatives could be options, could be uh, swaps, uh, and you know we want to become the derivatives uh, decks of the world. Along those uh, lines on the zk front too, um, you know now that the tech is really getting perfected and rolled out to, uh, and more exchanges are building on it, you know not just like DYDX. Uh, what does the competition look like in the ZK space uh, for you? Like, you know, I, I think you're going to be one of like, one of the first, if not the first uh, test net or maybe targeting mainnet being the first there. But what does the state of the market look like on the ZK DEX front? Yeah, on the ZK DEX front, um, in fact, we we know of maybe one or two other competitors. Um, however, we will probably be the first to launch our test net and likely to be the first to launch mainnet uh, on, on Starknet uh, as well. And, uh, you know, a bit of alpha here, but Starknet has already announced that they're going to be launching a token soon. And uh, it won't surprise anyone if uh, they have some community uh, airdrops or incentives uh, for early protocols and early users of those protocols. So, you know, I, you know, I'm sharing a little bit of uh, alpha here, but uh, yeah, there, there could be some interesting airdrop opportunities. Very nice. Uh, anything else we want to add to, I guess, uh, I mean, roadmap, you discussed, uh, you know, uh, where you kind of see Rabbit going from here and what near-term and long-term goals are, uh, the, you know, reasoning behind the tech choices, timelines, stuff like that. Um, Kepler, I didn't know if there was another uh, topic you wanted to cover. Uh, I had one very important question. Uh, why the name RabbitX? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is a very important question. Um, so, I mean, everyone loves rabbits, right? They're cute, they're fluffy, um, but most importantly, they're very fast, right? If you've ever seen a rabbit run, they run very, very fast. Um, and so, you know, as an exchange that um, wanted to uh, basically uh, convey the, the, you know, the speed of, of our exchange, um, we wanted to choose a name that was both very friendly and approachable, but uh, also conveyed speed. So RabbitX is, uh, you know, I feel like a very fitting name for that. And uh, I think um, for, uh, you know, a lot of cultures, rabbits are also a lucky charm, right? Rabbit's foot is, is a lucky charm. So I think it's a, it's a very nice, very fitting name. I think it's also the year of the rabbit, if I'm not mistaken right now, right? Is that this year or next year in the Chinese name? Yeah, next year, 2023. Yeah, which is also when we're going to be launching mainnet. So I think the stars are aligned. I, I actually didn't know that fact uh, until after we decided on the, on the name and then someone a friend of mine told me, oh, you know, did you choose it because, you know, it's Year of the Rabbit next year. And I, I, I didn't realize it, but uh, I think it's all signs, uh, good signs. Cool. So uh, I think, yeah, we learned a lot. Um, so maybe you could give just everyone who's looking to participate in the testnet or like where to follow you, how to participate. Yeah, for sure. So the easiest way is to go to our landing page, uh, rabbitx.io. Uh, 
input your email and uh, we'll sign you up to our waiting list uh, for the testnet. Uh, once we launch our testnet, we'll uh, send the email out to everyone and uh, also share it on our socials. So if you're on Twitter, follow us at rabbitx underscore IO. And uh, yeah, we'll post any news and, and updates there as well. Great. Uh, yeah, thanks, guys. See you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Kepler. Take care, everyone. Cheers. Bye.